Hi, podcast listeners. We'll be back in mid-April with more editions of Reformacy Dispatch. In the meantime, we thought we'd bring you some of our personal favorites. This week, Edward Tertanata, co-founder of Kopi Kanangan, and with whimsical menu items like Kopi Kanangan Mantan or Memories of My Ex, the startup became Indonesia's latest unicorn. That's a startup worth at least a billion dollars. It did that late last year when it wrapped up Series C funding, raising $96 million from venture capital, including from Li Ka-shing's Horizon Ventures. While the pandemic upended for now the company's plans to expand overseas, Kopi Kanangan enjoyed a surge in sales at home as housebound Indonesian consumers shifted much of how they lived online, from streaming services to Zoom meetings and, yes, to coffee. What strikes me most interesting about Kopi Kanangan's story is how the startup brought a truly Indonesian approach to takeaway coffee. And while Starbucks, for example, charges pretty high prices to cover the cost of seating and Wi-Fi, Kopi Kanangan's outlets are almost entirely takeaway. Prices are lower, and the coffee is sweet and strong, how most Indonesians like it. While bigger Indonesian tech titans like GoTo go public with IPOs, Kopi Kanangan is taking a wait-and-see approach. Even so, Edward Tertanata has taken his place in a growing class of entrepreneurs who have blended tech with the quotidian to make something new. With Nadine Makaram of Gojek, it was motorcycle taxis. With Edward Tertanata, it was very, very sweet coffee. Friends, here's Edward Tertanata. He is the co-founder of Kopi Kanangan, which in December raised $96 million in Series C funding, including support from Li Ka-shing's Horizon Ventures, making it Indonesia's newest unicorn and the first new retail unicorn at all. Edward Tertanada, welcome to Reformasi Dispatch. Thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, great to have you. Congratulations on the fundraising. It's fantastic. Um, And the new designation, you're a unicorn. Is that a help or a hindrance, being a unicorn? What's that like? Um, It's a little bit of both, right? The obvious help is that it brings us to a new level of prestige, right? Which should eventually help us for our two new um, journey this year, namely international expansion and FMCG. But on another hand, obviously, along with the title, it comes with, um, you know, a lot of pressure for us internally to um, grow profitably even more uh, than more so than before. So that is why, you know, as I mentioned, it's a little bit of both, but uh, internally we are embracing it with, um, you know, a sense of uh, thrill and um, happiness and, uh, you know, just um, have fun while doing it. Yeah. Yeah, Edward, uh, usually a a unicorn is a a groundbreaking, quirky, cutting-edge new technology like uh, Amazon was or what Facebook was when they started. Uh, You're a coffee company. Uh, How did that turn into a unicorn? So essentially, I think um, that is a big misconception, right, that uh, unicorn has to be pure byte company. I think the argument uh, of bits versus byte has been there uh, in tech. And as we progress over the years, I think um, you know people are starting to accept that 
startup is not just about byte, it's about bits as well. Namely that the offline component of um, any startup company, of any company, is uh, simply irreplaceable. If you think about it, for example, Alibaba, one of their growth strategy is Hema or their offline supermarket. Right, And then if you look at the recent company which has been attracting a lot of funding like GoPuff, it is primarily a dark uh, kitchen uh, which has an offline and online component to it. So essentially, you know, I would like to uh, break that misconception or myth. And um, keeping that in mind, we can see this model where it's really a mix of both offline and online. We never call ourselves a tech company, but then we call ourselves a tech-enabled company. Meaning mm. that, you know, uh, as a base, we have a, sh- a store that are selling coffee, bread, boba, and others, right? But it is enabled by technology, whether it be our hyper-personalization engine, our loyalty engine, or through the aggregator or third party, or how we leverage our data to create a heat map, uh, or how we operate our store using, um, you know, the smart manager system. So there are a lot of um, tech enablement comes along with our um, business. And that is why um, we are a tech-enabled company. We're a fast-growing company. And essentially, at heart, we are really a startup, uh, which is you know a new company that's challenging the incumbent and that is growing um, really fast. I, I would just I, I want to follow up on what what Kevin asked there. Is it is it actually more fair? Is it fair to say or more more accurate to say that you're sort of a you're you're a lot more data driven? You're a data driven tech company using tech to harness and um, uh, find out you know where people are, what their patterns are, what they tend to drink at certain times, and that's that's feeding into your your business model, right? You're using tech to crunch big data. Um, yes, that's a, a part of it, um, definitely, in which we uh, call ourselves a D2C company as well, or new retail or omni-channel, meaning that you know we have a direct relationship with our customer, right? We know what they want, or at least trying to know what they want and trying to offer them offers that are relevant to them. And by understanding our customer further, we would like to actually increase store productivity um, eventually. So yes, and in order to uh, do that, we obviously need to look into the data, understand the customer on an aggregate basis, and then eventually uh, try to do a hyper-personalized offering to them. So yes, we do use a lot of data, but I don't think it's about, um, you know, it's not always a data-driven approach that comes with our technology. For example, in our smart manager system, we don't actually crunch big data and create a smart manager, right? It's a simple interpretation of how to operate uh, how to do a retail excellence, and then we try to translate it into a smart manager system. You're not, you're not Mark Zuckerberg of coffee, is what is what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's, it's a very different business. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Kevin, you want to you want to fire away? Sure. Yeah. Well, on on that theme, um, I think that Kopi Kanangan has expanded to about uh, 600 stores, and um, if that's right, I'm just wondering, are you? As you expand your stores, are you bumping up against the limits of where you can connect with your customers uh, as you get to the uh, the second tier cities and especially the third tier cities? Uh, is there a lack of internet connectivity which um, you know, complicates the, the business model in terms of uh, collecting data and marketing and especially doing uh, online, uh, sorry, uh, you know, d- delivery of products to customers? 
So I, I don't think so, right? Um, you know, for the audience who are not too familiar with Indonesia, if you go to, you know, tier two, tier three cities of Indonesia, they are connected, right? For example, if I go to Makassar or Serang, those uh, tier two, tier three cities, people there are connected, right? And uh, we have, uh, we are experiencing quite a high number of, uh, you know, transaction that happens through our own app and through the aggregator. So it's quite a misconception that tier two and three cities are not connected. I mean, it's 90% of Indonesians are connected to mobile, right? Meaning that, um, you know, most probably in tier two, tier three cities, uh, people are connected. Yeah, but those are those aren't necessarily smartphones there though, right? I mean, there there's still a lot of dumb phones out there. So I mean, Ke- Kevin's asking like at some point you're going to you're going to bump up against the the of internet penetrations and people that have the money to to spend 30,000 rupiah on um kanangan manis or something like that. Um wait, I think that's actually a cookie. Um but right I mean, so no, like even when you get to uh to Makassar, people are still ordering in the same likelihood as as people in, J- in Jakarta, is what you're saying. Yeah, um I think so. At least um that is uh, some of the data that um we are seeing. Uh granted that we haven't gone to like say villages Right, we are only in cities. Uh, maybe the reality is um, a little bit different uh, once we go to villages. But uh, in the near future, we don't have any plan um, going there. So yeah. Can can, can I just um, take a step back and just sort of you know not not everyone is is uh, familiar with 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 Kopi Kanangan. Um, can you give me an idea of what you absolutely pro- you absolutely would not do? versus something that Starbucks would do. Like, for example, I, I haven't noticed too many tables and chairs at your at your outlets. In fact, I think it's probably better to call them kiosks. Would you ever consider a dining room? So basically, um, you know, at heart, uh, we are a uh, grab-and-go coffee company, and which is uh, the number one difference between us and the legacy players like Coffee Bean, Starbucks uh, and others, right? Would we ever do dine-in? Sure, why not, right? We have some dine-in because it's inevitable once you grow further that you will have um, seatings, not because your core offerings has changed, but because the type of store locations that we are entering into are slightly bigger than before. Uh, let me give an example. When I first started, since we know we are a grab-and-go coffee company, we only go to offices and malls, right? Meaning you will find very small uh, location, 20, 30 meters square. But now, since we're expanding to, um, you know, Ruko or um, shop houses, uh, yeah, it's bound to be at least, um, you know, um, 60 or 200 meters square, right? And that is a very small Ruko already. So, um, you know, if you have the extra space, Sure, we'll throw in some chair and some table there, but it's never a big component of our business. So uh, at heart, yes, we are uh, very different with Starbucks with uh, our grab-and-go business strategy. However, in terms of uh, the real implementation, it might intersect a bit with Starbucks, I guess. <laughs> okay. Edward, can you... Great. Can, Go ahead. Can you explain, can you explain your uh, price point? Um Vis-a-vis Starbucks, maybe on one end, or you know, a warung with an instant coffee on the other end. Um, sure. Um, so basically, I think um, you know, uh, and really, this is one of the reasons why um, we started Coffee Kenangan, right? Because uh, I drink coffee um, every day, right? Three times a day, in fact. So back then, in two thousand seventeen, I feel like 
oh Starbucks is or um, equivalent or other cafe are selling their coffee at forty to fifty thousand rupiah, right? Forty thousand rupiah times three three is hundred twenty thousand times thirty is three point six million or approximately minimum wage, right? There's no way I'm spending that much just for coffee, right? I haven't even eaten. I never <laughs> thought of that before. Yeah. I never thought of it's, that. It's, wow. It's, this is wow. yeah. It's it's, in, it's uh, ridiculous, right? Uh, I mean, it seems like um, you know people are mimicking price of Starbucks in the U.S. You know, because in the U.S. it's like three to four dollar. So right. But it's no, you're right. no way that is equivalent, yeah. right? Just look at the GDP per capita. It's very different the U.S. and Indonesia. So uh, and on uh, another alternative is instant coffee, one thousand rupiah. But essentially, what is instant coffee? Is over roasted coffee with uh, tons of sugar. So it doesn't matter what type of coffee you are giving, right? That's essentially what instant coffee is all about, and that's and that's why it's priced at one thousand rupiah. Uh, sure, you can uh, you know if uh, using that analogy, one thousand times three is three thousand, three thousand times thirty is ninety thousand rupiah per month. It's affordable, definitely. But uh, do I want to drink that every day? Maybe not, right? For health reason and, you know, for um, taste reason as well, especially. And that is why, um, you know, we try to uh, create our version of freshly brewed coffee. Uh, we still use a legitimate espresso machine, namely La Marzocco and Victoria Arduino. Uh, but then we are pressing it at eighteen to 24,000 um, rupiah. So we are not like your, say, for example, convenience store coffee, because convenience store does offer um, coffee at 10,000 rupiah. They say it's fresh to do, but if you look at the machine, it's not an espresso machine. Whereas everything that we do um, in terms of, you know, properness, we are at least trying to be compliant with the SEA standard. SEA is a specialty coffee association. Uh, and, you know, uh, we are, uh, in a way, we are, a proper coffee company that is um, selling uh, Arabica blend uh, with a lot of twists and creativity at a very affordable price. Edward, you, you're, you're talking to Kevin here who um, once uh, scolded me for putting milk and sugar in my single origin Taraja coffee. Oh, that's uh, right. I did, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. You, you remember that? <laughs> yeah. like, you don't actually have to do that. That's, it's not <laughs> because it is yeah. acidic. The milk and sugar is for the offset. And, but I don't think it tastes good. No, so, I mean, he's a, he's, he's a, he's a coffee tragic. Kevin, you want to take? Sorry, <laughs> we're on board. Yeah, no, instant coffee is a break glass solution when you need caffeine and there's nothing else around. Totally. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of uh, coffee geekdom. Um, let's stick to business. <laughs> can you can you do this um, affordably? Can you can you break even? Uh, as you described, uh, providing that type of a product um, at, at that price point? Sure, of course. Um, how we are able to do so is exactly why we have the grab and go business model, right? Because if you think about it, why does Starbucks mm. charge 40 to 50,000 rupiah oh, per cup? The real of estate. Because real estate, right? It's 200 meters square of space uh, comp- uh, versus copy uh, Kenangan at 20 meters square of space. It's only one tenth, right? So since they gotta pay rent, they gotta uh, you know make a higher gross margin than kopi kenangan, and they do have a higher gross margin than kopi kenangan. But do they pay a significantly more rent than kopi kenangan? Obviously they do. Uh, do they invest a lot more into their uh, real estate uh, compared to kopi kenangan? Of course they do. Just sit in Starbucks. They have a nice, comfortable sofa, fast Wi-Fi, 
a lot of natural lighting going into their space. It's, it's all, you know, bigger capex, right? Whereas for us, what we do, we just focus on the coffee. And uh, if you compare a Lamar Zoko coffee machine compared to, say, Mastrena, obviously Lamar Zoko is uh, better, right? But uh, that is well, why can I afford a Lamar Zoko? Because I don't spend on comfortable sofa or fast mm-hmm. Wi-Fi. It's simply, you know, people come, order, grab, and go. And we have, you know, a bare minimum for seatings in case that the space is too big. But that's about it, right? When I want to jump in there. I want to ask you about the pandemic. I remember talking with you almost exactly two years ago, Edward, um, and uh, you were quite confident in being able to break in to an uh, overseas market. I'm not sure where that is now. I think you were talking about a thousand stores by now, and then the pandemic hit. And so, understandably, you had to pivot. Notice you've got some FMB offerings, you've got the chicken flavored snacks, you've got um, the bread line. Um, well, that did, I did that, that came out wrong. <laughs> the bread line that's a reference to the but uh, you've got you've got a, a brand of bread and you got the cookies. So, um, I'm sensing you had to make some changes, uh, with the five year plan that you had back in 2020 that, that we were talking about. What had to be set to the side? What had to be brought forward? Tell me about, about that journey in the past couple of years. And obviously, you had to make some tough, fast decisions. Sure. And this is actually quite interesting, right? Which relates to the um, first topic that we're discussing about startup. And I do believe that uh, being able to adapt or being able to be um, nimble are definitely the right DNA for uh, any flourishing startups. And that is exactly how we were able to navigate through the pandemic, right? If you compare, um, you know, the legacy QSR player or um, cafe, they did not make much uh, shift, right, in their business model. But that's not the case with Kopi Kenangan. Uh, back then, uh, in 2019, only, I think, eight, nine, close to 90% of our portfolio are in um, office and malls, right? Exactly the same as um, Starbucks um, strategy as well. But one thing that we noticed back then, when we look into our data, we realized that is you know sales drop right? It's reality in uh, March and April two thousand twenty, uh, and we re- and one thing that we realized, even though sales dropped significantly in the CBD area, it did not drop at all in the residential area. For example, we have this one ruko in Rawamangun. They were only doing like four hundred cups per day, right? Back then, prior to the pandemic, and then the next thing we know, they are doing like a thousand more than a thousand cups a day, and we're like so shocked, right? Hey. How come the sales here is so good? And that's when we realized, that's when the epiphany uh, came to us, is that, oh, people are simply, uh, people did not disappear. They just moved somewhere else, right? And that's when we realized that, um, you know, we got to use our data to make a data-driven decision to navigate ourselves outside the, out, the, out of the pandemic. And we opened a lot of stores um, between 2020 and 2021, but we, do not, we did not touch office and mall anymore. We open a lot of gas station. We open a lot of um, Ruko. That is because we would try to be closer to our customer and make sure that we can deliver them um, coffee um, affordably and quickly as well. Because one of the things about coffee, it's something that if you need it, you need it instantly. If it's not convenient, people will not buy from you. And that is why we need to be close to our customer. So that is the biggest shift that um, we did um, during the pandemic. Uh, and we the overseas market still? I think you're talking about Thailand. What's, where are you on that? So, uh, and with regards to international expansion, obviously we got to halt that um, international expansion, right? 
because um, you know traveling becomes uh, pretty much impossible um, during the pandemic, and we thought uh, you know uh, we gotta solidify our domestic um, position first, and we did uh, exactly that, right? We literally came out of the pandemic with close to three x in um, revenue, and uh, we are already back to profitability, and now we can uh, is actually focus on international expansion again. Oh, you're profitable. You're in the black. Uh, we are in the black on the company level. Uh, we have always been before the pandemic. It, of course, went off track a bit uh, during the pandemic, but uh, we were able to come back to black, and that is why we can now uh, be confident and do international expansion again in Thailand, Malaysia, and others. Yeah, Edward, can you talk about uh, staffing and um, how you go about uh, recruiting and uh, training, and and uh, do your staff have uh, opportunities for long term development? Um, sure. So basically, um, you know, in Kopi Kenangan, uh, we do believe in um, learning and development, uh, and that is why. And of course, there should be a career ladder as well. We train a lot of people who basically know nothing about coffee. To become a proper barista, right? We have this training center called Minokenangan um, Academy, where we really uh, produce barista, skilled worker, and uh, let them out of the academy, uh, being able to learn, you know, meaningful skills, right? Uh, and it's not just about making coffee. One of the sad thing about Indonesia, the knowledge about um, food safety is very low. And right. that is exactly one of the things that uh, we teach them as well in Kenangan Academy. And, you know, even if after they have graduated from Kopi Kenangan, they work somewhere else, at least their knowledge becomes very useful, right? Uh, and going forward, obviously, we need to make sure that there's a ladder for them. We want to give them hope that they can um, eventually, you know, become a manager, area manager. And one of the interesting, about Kopi, interesting thing about Kopi Kenangan is that every area manager in Kopi Kenangan has shares, right? It's not some, mm. maybe it's more common in China and the U.S., but in Indonesia, it's of unheard of yeah. for yeah. managers to get shares, but they do in Kopi Kenangan because we do believe that, you know, at the end of the day, this retail business is for people by people. If the people inside our uh, workforce uh, are not happy or are does not have the same alignment as uh, the company, then it's very hard, right, to grow the company. And that is why we give them shares. We make sure that, um, you know, their interests and the company's interests are aligned. So that is how we view, um, you know, uh, manpower development and um, such. Well, Edward, that means you got to do an IPO in order to let those people, uh, you know, cash Beat in. Beat me to it, Kevin. I was got <laughs> IPO. <laughs> you can tell us strictly between us. <laughs> yeah. You know, what do you think about pricing days? You, know, you got advisors. We'll keep yeah. it secret. <laughs> of course, you uh, you know, for any startup event, any after becoming a unicorn, obviously IPO is the next milestone. We are brewing that at the moment, and hopefully, you know, uh, once we have gone IPO, we, are, we will create wealth to the employees that have received um, shares, uh, especially the managers. And it's it's really uh, amazing, you know, uh, all the area managers in Kopi Kenangan. Many of them really started from the bottom. Uh, like I like one of the area manager in um, Tamrin area actually started as a cashier and mm. uh, he is now an area manager who owns approximately around like what $12,000 worth of Kopi Kenangan shares. He, and we, mm. he really started from the bottom. 
And I think it's really uh, amazing to see the growth of um, these people that really care about the company and really wants to, you know, uh, go, go forward in their life. All right. Great, Edward. Edward, thank, thank you. you so much for, sure. for joining us. Edward Tertanada, co-founder of Kopi Kanangan. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Appreciate it. And that's the pod. Thanks so much to Edward Tertanada of Kopi Kanangan. Our editing and sound engineering is done by Stephen Handoko. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. And for a free trial of Kevin's Reformasi Weekly Newsletter, go to reformasi.info. And if you're listening to us through a podcast app, please subscribe and share us on social media. It would be a big help. As always, you can reach us on Instagram at hello at onthelevel.id. This podcast is a production of On The Level Media. I'm Jeff Hutton. Bye for now. Thank you.